You are listening to a sermon from Emmaus Church LCMS. For more information, please go to www.emmauspasco.org. Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to read to you a portion of a poem that I read, goodness gracious, like six years ago to you guys. In the face of a culture of death, in a world with killing fields and industrialized murder, Christ is at the head of the resurrection parade, transforming our tears of betrayal into tears of joy, giving us dancing shoes for the resurrection party. And this glittering joker, who has danced in the dragon's jaws of death, now dances with a dance that is full of nothing less than the fullness of God. This is the dance of the new creation. This is the dance of life out of death. And in this dance, all that was broken, all that was estranged, all that was alienated, all that was dislocated and disconnected is reconciled, comes home, is healed, and is made whole. In the face of a culture of death, when things fall apart, Christ is at the head of a resurrection parade. That's the image I want you to to hold in your mind today, the second Sunday of this Easter season. Christ at the head of a resurrection parade. Because I'm not going to pretend that this is not tough. You guys know that my last Sunday is going to be in a couple weeks. And we've just come through a wonderful season of Lent. Wonderful season, getting to work with um, young men, finish up confirmation, to prepare some families for baptism. And that was about the best Easter day you could possibly have asked for. We got to baptize three people, confirm uh, three people, two here and two at Emmaus. And now we face something of a kind of a long goodbye. Three weeks. And I've been wondering a lot how to spend these last three weeks with you. Because I know this is disappointing. I know there's feelings of grief and loss and some abandonment and betrayal. There's fear, fear for our congregations, fear for the future. Maybe some of you are feeling good riddance, a little bit of relief. Tough luck, I still got three weeks. And I know in that uncertainty and fear, is not coming in a great time because there's plenty of uncertainty and fear in the world outside the church, right? Our culture seems at war with itself and those common bonds that kept that war pretty, well, peaceful-ish seem fraying. There's fear of the church being shouted out or excluded from the public square. There's wars, there's pandemics, there's mandates, and everywhere we look, there's conflict, conflict, conflict. And if that weren't enough, then there's all those everyday things that would just kind of float beneath the surface and then rear their ugly head when you're not ready for it. Things like disease and death and cancer that just intrude themselves on our nice little bubble when we try to tell ourselves we're immortal. And so it seems kind of difficult to talk about a resurrection parade. And how can we have the joy and the courage and the faith to believe this and to join in it? And to do this, I, 
I'm going to actually take a look for the next at least two weeks at our epistle lessons, which are coming out of the book of Revelation. I haven't preached a lot on the book of Revelation, but it's a really appropriate text for this kind of moment. Because it is John's letter to churches that are facing a tremendous amount of uncertainty and fear and disappointment and pain. Now, Revelation typically doesn't get a lot of attention because it's kind of difficult to understand. John is speaking in a way that scholars call apocalyptic. And what it means is it's so laden with images that you always have to kind of decode these images. And of course, how do you decode them is the big question. And everyone's got their secret way of decoding these images. But the way that John does this is he, he expects that you know your Old Testament like the back of your hand. Well, really well. I don't know the back of my hand very well, but I don't know why that phrase is a phrase. But he, ex- he knows that you know your Old Testament. So he assumes that when he says something like this, grace to you and peace from the one who is and who was and who was to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, that you're going to know, okay, that's about the Trinity. Well, he who was, that's that's God the Father, the one who introduced himself to Moses as he who is, and there's Jesus Christ, but seven spirits? Wait a second. Why does John say seven spirits? I thought there's one Holy Spirit. Well, John knows that you're just an expert at your Old Testament, and so you know that in Isaiah 7... The spirit is called the spirit of power and wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and fear of the Lord, which add up to seven. And that this complete spirit who encompasses all that God is can be described accurately as seven spirits. Okay, John, thanks for that. I would, I would have just written Holy Spirit. But that's the trouble with Revelation, right? It's laden with these images and it's difficult to decode and it makes us want to be like, well, you can make what you will of it with, about it. But the reason John speaks like this is he knows the power of the present. He knows the might of the Roman Empire, which in this time is beginning to persecute the church. He knows the might and the antiquity of the traditions of Moses that are being shouted at the church from people within and without and used to make the authentic label of the church. So that if you don't follow it, you're not in. He knows the immovable things that are all around people, the sin and the death that just keeps coming back, and he's trying to give them eyes to see the resurrection parade. And to do that, he has to use powerful language and to use language in ways that breaks the ordinary way. We call it poetry, ultimately. That's what he's doing. And I want to take just three things. There's a ton you could get out of our our lesson today, but I want you to just take three things from our epistle lesson today that John wants us to see. So go ahead and take out your bulletin and let's look at this and we're going to try to make our way through it. He be, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace. It's a pretty normal greeting, right? From the apostles' letters. From him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. John wants you to begin by seeing who organized this parade. He wants you to see and to know the God for whose honor and glory everything that he's going to talk about is. Because you can't understand anything that he's going to call you to. You cannot understand your world in the light of the gospel unless you understand the God from whom it all comes. And so he introduces you to the triune God in in a way that he expects you to kind of understand. 
He who is and who was and who is to come. Now, I kind of mentioned this earlier. You guys know the story of the burning bush. God, Moses asked, what name should I call you? And he says, I am who I am. Or tell them, the, he who is. Now, in Greek, that is, ego ami haom. I am the one who is. So the one who is, that's the name of God throughout the whole Old Testament. And people then began to expand this and say, well, he wasn't just, he isn't, he's not just now in the present. He, he was. And he will be in the future. He is the everlasting God. All right? That's why he expands this out in all directions, past, present, and future. But you notice, he didn't say the God who is and who was and who will be. He said the God who is and who was and who is to come. Now, is to come is not the one who's going to happen. It's the one who's going to show up. He actually uses a different word, not just the one who's going to exist in the future, but the one who's going to show up and return. The one who makes himself present in his world. Because God is not just this timeless, eternal thing that it's like, okay, great, everything's falling apart down here, but he's the same always, great. No, no, no. He is the God who is now, who was in the past, and because of who he is and who he was, he is going to come in the future and reign over his creation. And we know this because of the, set, the other part that we, he goes into, which is Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, firstborn from the dead, ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, there are a lot of things you could say about Jesus, and John will say a lot of them, but these three all focus on his humanity. As a human, he faithfully bore witness to his father. As a human, he's the firstborn who broke the jaws of death and now has freed a whole bunch of people to come behind him. And as a human, he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Don't miss that part. Remember the whole temptation thing when Satan promises Jesus all the kingdoms of the world? People often say, oh, that was the, the political temptation of Jesus. No, no, no. We've talked about this before. That was Satan tempting Jesus. I'll give you what you came for to be king of the whole universe. If you bow down and worship me, you can skip the whole suffering part. But Jesus didn't skip the suffering part. He went through the suffering part. And he rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, all authority in heaven and earth is his. And therefore, he is king of the universe. And he is the ruler of all the kings in the earth. This is the God that we worship. And unless we know that this God is at once transcendent and imminent, is at once eternal and everlasting, and here and now... We won't know what comes next. We won't be able to under wrap our minds around what comes next. We won't be able to understand him when he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. We'll think that he's detached or that he's aloof. But when we know him through the witness of Jesus as the one who raised Jesus from the dead and the one who made Jesus king over heavens and earth, we know that this God can give us hope now. We know that this God can actually give us what he promised. And we know that this God actually can make us part of his kingdom. So we, we, we join this parade by focusing on the God who organized it. The second thing we do is we know that this is a parade, not a single file line. This is a throng of people. The resurrection parade is not just you and Jesus. It's everyone. And you all share together a common life. And this means a lot more than you've ever thought about it before. Listen to the next part. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. Your partner. John, your partner. He's writing to seven different churches, and he's writing for people who are going to read him afterwards. He's pronounced his blessing at the beginning of the letter on everyone who will read it. And John wants you to know he is the one who shares together with you in stuff. Three things. 
all of which come from Jesus. In tribulation, John shares in your suffering and your tribulation, whether it comes from outside the church or from within the church. John shares in your kingdom. You are all one nationality, not American, not French, not Mexican, not not any other nationality. You are in the kingdom of God. You share a common people, a nation. And you share a patient endurance. Because being one nation in Christ makes you the enemy of a lot of other nations. But Christ endured. And you too share together with John and with all other saints in that. But then the next part is actually the other surprising part. Because you share all this together, that means you can see your daily world in light of the gospel. He says, I, John, was on an island called Patmos on account of the word of the Lord and the testimony of Jesus. Now, we know that John is actually in Patmos because he's been uh, sent there to exile. It's a punishment, probably inflicted by the Roman authorities. But John, so, so from a human vantage point, you'd say John's on an island called Patmos because Rome sent him there. Because Rome is a tyrant. And John says, no, I'm here because of the word of the Lord. I'm here on account of the testimony of Jesus. I'm here so that I can speak to you what I saw. God is the one who tells me where I am. He's the one who defines me and who defines where I am. So John wants all of us not only to see, not only to see our unity in him, he wants us to see our worlds and what's going on in them as God's activity, as what God has worked for the sake of his word and the sake of his gospel. And this is a crucial move that we all have to make in the midst of disappointments and afflictions and griefs and joys, is we can say, here's the reasons the world gives to these. And then here are the reasons that come from the simple trust that Jesus is actually king. And because Jesus is king, he gets to define what I'm going through right now. He gets to define what we are going through right now. But you can only see this, you can only believe this, if you know that God is not simply some distant parade organizer, that Jesus himself is actually leading it in person. This is your next part. Look at verse 12. Someone's, well, a voice speaks to John, telling him to write in a book to seven churches. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man. Now, I'm going to keep it simple here. The seven lampstands he's going to tell you in a second are the seven churches he's writing to. And seven is kind of a representative number. He's writing to seven for the sake of all. And who is in the middle of these lampstands? It's going to be Jesus. Jesus in his glory. A kind of bewildering, staggering image of Jesus shining like the sun with a sword coming out of his mouth with white hair and fiery eyes. I don't want to pull the image apart because it just kind of breaks it. The overwhelming reign of Jesus in his glory is where He's in the midst of his churches. He's not separated. He's not distinct. He is here and now. When he said, I have all authority in heaven and earth, he then follows it up by saying, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And to these churches that he's in the midst of, if, the, if we could see him, if we could see Jesus among us right now, we would do what John does. I, we would fall down as though dead. And Jesus would do what he does which is placed his right hand upon John, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the king keys to death and Hades. 
to John and to all who march behind John. These are Jesus' words. Don't be afraid. Fear not. I was there at the beginning. I'll be there at the end. I have authority in heaven and earth. The keys to your greatest enemy are in my hands. I win. And because I win, you win. So trust me. And fear not. That's the one marching at the head of this parade. That's the one bidding us follow. That's the one bidding us follow through the joys and through the griefs. So we keep our eyes fixed on him. Knowing ourselves to be one of these glowing lampstands around which, that gathers around him. And knowing and trusting that in him, it's true. Everything that was estranged, all that was alienated, all that was dislocated, disconnected, everything that was separated and torn is reconciled, comes home, is healed, and is made whole. Amen. And may the peace that passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. This has been a message from Emmaus Church LCMS. We thank you for listening and invite you to find out more by visiting our website at www.emmauspasco.org. That's www.emmauspasco.org.